It ain't the beat, it's the motion. Makes your daddy wanna rock. It ain't the beat, it's the motion. Come on, everybody. Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. It's Tom Douglas. And Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. Chef, as you know, uh, I own a few joints around town, including yes. Serious Pie out in Ballard in the brewery district out there. And Serious Pie downtown, Serious Pie Totem Lake. Now, it's, uh, we're, we're worldwide. Or maybe we're Lake Washington wide. Well, in this world, you're worldwide. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Our show goes worldwide. That's so, right. Yeah. Uh, we also uh, have this lovely cooking school, the Hot Stove Society, here in downtown Seattle, 4th and Virginia. Uh, in the Hotel Andra, which has uh, been our home now for about five or seven years, I think, doing our show. It feels like here. seven. Yeah, instead of the studio. Probably so. ten. But <laughs> uh, We have a large show for you. It's going to be really fun. We've got Gateau, The Surprising Simplicity of French Cakes, and its author, Alexandra Crepanzano. Uh, we are going to talk uh, Food for Thought Tasty Trivia, as we do every week. Uh, you're going to tell us about your trip to Ireland. Correct. We're going to have uh, a guest, Susan Kafka, is going to be here, travel expert from uh, 58 Star Travels, and she's going to tell us all about the trip we're taking to Ireland. Oh. She's Irish herself. So. You've been to Ireland or not? No, I've never no. been. That's why I'm going. I'm, you got to go to Ireland at least once in your life. I went once with, you know, just to go to Ireland, and then I've been on a couple of golf junkets over there, and... Uh, it's spectacular. Oh, yeah. That's what I hear. Looking forward to hearing about that. Tapas, our favorite easy appetizers, almost always, I shouldn't say that because I've had tapas at a lot of places where all of them are hot, but we're going to talk mostly about ones that are room temperature. A peak of the season peppers, and we're going to bring back our ordinary to extraordinary segment. Cool. Because why not? Yeah. I think it's a game everybody plays subconsciously every day in their refrigerator <laughs> you know you're looking at that leftover leftover pasta with sausage and you're like how can i make this better than what it looks like right now well i think pam for some reason pam you picked out meatloaf and i can only attribute that to uh to your trip recently back east to cook your mother birthday lunch at her nursing facility yep and you, got it. you are always immersed in americana when you get back there when it comes to totally. culinary tradition Potato salad, jello salad, meatloaf. That's what they want to eat. Jello salad. Did you make that? Of course. Here's the thing I think is funny about all that is you like you immediately want to, oh my God, how do I make this better? And they immediately want it just the way they've had it for the last <laughs> nine, 90 Don't years. Don't touch a thing. Yeah. Stay away. <laughs> so but that's just your nature. Pam is our producer. She writes our show sheet every week. Sean over there is our technical director. And Annie, Chef Annie Elmore here, who often is uh, our victim on Food for Thought Tasty Trivia is in... Ch- she yeah. beat me last week. She's very happy to I, I tell you she was, beats you most uh, of the exactly. time. No. Uh, anyway, she is making breakfast today with Prosser Farm rattlesnake green beans. Mm. If you want to come be part of our show, just go to hotstovesocieties.com and buy a ticket. Super fun. We'd love to have you. Uh, my taste of the week. Mine is quick. Okay. I sent it to Pam, but she refused to put it on paper. It was too embarrassing. <laughs> it was embarrassing? Wait till you hear it. As you know, and Does it, is it, is it, wait, hold on. Is it going to make radio? Yes. Embarrassing in what sense? Okay, go ahead. Uh, as Pam knows, Pam, have you ever stepped in a Costco? No. Pam has never been in a Costco. And so Except, she does, oh, we had to do so, ru- some rub demos. Oh, we did a rub. Yeah. So Pam, Pam and I would be definitely uh, the two people who... Um, I, You've I never to, been? No, I, I've been to Costco, oh, but okay. my, I, I'm probably one of the few people who go to Costco and don't buy anything. 
I, I love Costco. I they, go to Costco to buy something, and I don't find it, and I go back out, and they go, did you look in the store? And I go, no. <laughs> what else do I need to go look for? I'm, oh I'm coming here God. to buy. Oh, my God. Let me take this segment then. Um, I go to Costco all the time. I love Costco. I love buying stuff there that I can think about, well, God, this if this is selling, what can I make that would sell kind of like, you know. No, 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 I like dreaming about selling, making the big sale to Costco. Uh, they used to carry my rub, but they don't anymore. Said it doesn't sell enough. Wow. Really? Really? <laughs> Seriously? Well, no, it's just, yeah, Costco is a big, it's the biggest retailer in the world. So anyway, so they have lots of national, international brands. But as I wrote in my father's obituary, uh, one of his favorite things to do on a weekly basis uh, was to go to Costco, even though it was just him and my mom, which is one of the reasons why the chest freezer, when my mom passed this last summer, was filled to the brim still. Ten years after my dad passed away. Look, they got sausage on sale. <laughs> yeah, Buy it. Exactly. 60 sausages. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, so I, my, my, I wrote my dad's obituary, and I talked about his love of Costco uh, demo counters, you know, where he could walk around the store, and he, would, he could chat to a fence post. He was a salesperson by trade, and he could talk to anybody, anytime, about anything. But he would talk to those uh, Costco demo folks and... He would just sit there and chow down, and, and that was his lunch. But once, he would never buy anything. <laughs> oh, no, he bought. He bought, but not, very, not what he went for, you know. But anyway, point being, yesterday I was at Costco, and I've, uh, I often just walk by the demo guys. I always acknowledge them because I've been in that position. Pam and I have done tastings at trade shows many, many times. And so I always acknowledge them and be respectful. But this one woman was yelling out, and I could smell truffles. And I was thinking, oh, my God, truffle oil. So I thought, I just thought, and I was, she just kind of almost grabbed me. She said, don't you want to try? I said, what are we having today? And she said, well, it's chicken nuggets, and they're really crispy, but the best part is we're putting black truffle sriracha on top. <laughs> black truffle sriracha, sriracha on, truffle. on top of the chicken nuggets. This is where the word's gone to. And I just thought, this is the epitome of a Costco demo a presentation. This it was is, the funniest thing. I had to call Jackie from there. I said, you'd never guess what they're <laughs> So did you try them? Of course not. <laughs> Which is not like me. Normally, I wouldn't try I them because like, it's a Cars cracker or it's uh, Adele meatball or it's you know something that is fine. But I should have tried it because it was... I just couldn't get over it. I was, so, it's so, I was breathless. It's so far. And I would, have, I would have think you would have tried it because of that. Exactly. Okay, you have a minute. I have a minute. Top, well, top my chicken nugget I was, at Costco. I'm going to top it. I, uh, I went to a place called uh, Scratch, uh, Sushi by Scratch, uh-huh. uh, which is downtown here on, on Fifth Avenue. You on already Fourth went? Avenue. Yes. And, uh, I got an invite too, but I turned it down. Fabulous. Uh, definitely worth a trip for anybody who likes sushi. I'm just going to leave it at that because I only have a minute, so I can't. Yeah. Really. But, well, uh, there's no, already was, a two-year wait to get in. It's only nine seats, right, or something? Ten. Ten seats, yeah. There's a two-year wait? Yeah. I guess I'm going to have to wait a little while to go back. But uh, no, Yeah, 40,000 people tried to get a spot. Oh, well, that's a nice waiting list. Uh, at, 10, at 30 people a day, they do three seatings, and it's 10 people each time, so 30 people a day. It's going to take a little while to get to that mailing list. The markets are brimming with a rainbow of pepper colors, including the ones from Prosser Farm. Uh, it's time to roast and preserve them, and we'll do that when we come back on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM.
hot pepper, pepper, I'm a hot pepper, hot, hot, hot pepper, I'm hot like the fire, hot like the sun, when we talking about heat, me be number one, I'm a hot it is time for peppers, according to Pamela Hinckley, our producer, and according to my wife, Jackie Cross, who's uh, bringing over a, a trunk load of peppers today in her Subaru. So was such a slow start to the season at Prosser. You know, we all remember we had the wettest spring ever, and now we've had the driest summer ever. Correct. And we're and, probably going to have the wettest fall ever. And we got smacked with that heat spell there that always makes the, the plants at Prosser, you know, if it's 100 here, it's 115 there. Uh, it always makes everything drop, their entire flower set. The beans, the eggplants, the tomatoes, they all just drop their buds. And then you have to wait for everything to reflower and right, regrow. Right. So we're just having a beautiful pick right now, uh, the middle of September. We're having a beautiful pick at Prosser. The tomatoes are the best they've looked all year. The peppers are awesome. Uh, we're just finishing all the cantaloupes. I uh, brought over uh, 15 totes of potatoes. Um, you know, it's just, uh, it's, it's harvest. It's the harvest time, it's yeah. It's harvest season. And, time and to take everything off the ground. It is a buzz over there. As you can imagine, everything grows there. So you see the onion trucks. You see the all the silage corn. You know, that's an interesting process if you ever want to look up what the cows, all the dairy cows eat. is called silage corn. Right. And, you know, we're used to going to a field of corn and you pick the ears and you eat the corn. This stuff, they grind up the stalks, the ears, everything is ground into a, a mash, and then it's fermented for a year or two under big tarps. They move it around with tractors and huge mounds of silage corn at, at the dairies. And let's get back to peppers. Because yeah, that's such stu- a distinctive smell. Because that stuff, yeah. that stuff yeah. is all to digest, too. Oh, the silage yeah. corn is? Yeah. I yeah. never knew about it until I, we bought the farm in Prosser, so... Peppers. Peppers. So a couple of days ago, I had the luck to have a bunch of... Small eggplant, you know, I guess we call I do them. know. We, we're picking them right now. Yeah, yeah. The, the small one, you know, tube, tube small tube. Yeah. And those are so delicious because you can put them in a, you know, I have a, a Le Creuset pot, a bit of olive oil, put the, pe- the eggplant in their hole, and then cook them, you know, just cook them very slowly or medium heat for about 25 minutes. And the, the whole thing is like... Just sealed melts, on the, right? The skin is melt, sealed on the outside, and it's melt, and it's edible. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's the only time you can eat eggplant skin, I think, uh, as far as I'm concerned. You know, when you get the big globe eggplant, you have to peel those. But this, this skin is delicious. And that, and with the sauteed peppers next to it, and onion, and you end up with, I believe it's called caponata in, mm-hmm. in Italian. Mm-hmm. And that is such a beautiful thing to have a bowl of that in your refrigerator, because you can mix that with so many different things. You know, I was talking about sausage earlier. You can take a nice sausage and put sausage with that and have that for breakfast. Could sort of some green added to that and then, you know, some spinach or some kale or whatever you have. That's tender. Swiss chard right now are very tender in the, in the uh, garden. So add that to it and you have a wonderful dinner or, or breakfast with it. Put a big poached egg on top of that. Yummy. Mm. Delicious. Sounds delicious. This is the time of year where... You know, the peppers are coming over f- literally faster than the restaurants can use them. And so it's a preservation time. Sure. So I have two different things that I preserve pepper-wise. One is a pepernata. Sure. So I take all the different peppers, uh, n- not, the, not the super spicy ones, but all the reds, sweet reds, greens, yellows, uh, all the different kinds. And I chop them up and mix them with uh, chanterelles, right? There's good mm. chanterelles out there right now, capers, olives. And I make just this little pepernata that... Uh, I bring out year-round as a quick appetizer when I'm having company or 
you know, if I end up with a few jars left before the end, before the new season uh, happens, Stuff, yeah. uh, I just put them in soup or, or whatever. And then I also just do a simple little pepper and onion saute that we freeze that's ready to go for when you're, you're cooking a pork chop sure. or you're doing a roast chicken. And it's just a beautiful little relish. Do you do uh, any uh, puree of top. any kind? I don't. You're pepper the puree. Soup? You're the puree god, I, not I, me. I like to make them. I like to make uh, puree of peppers. Uh, puree, you like, like to make puree of everything. Well, it's an easy thing to put in the freezer and utilize in many different ways. I mean, I got tons of uh, one cup tomato puree right now in, in the freezer. I tell you, those cups are really handy when you, what are we going to eat? You know, it's January. You can't find a good tomato to save your life around here. You take that out of the freezer and I tell you one thing, it tastes like delicious. Tastes like summer. Yeah. yeah. And all you have to do is add whatever you're cooking, you deglaze with a little white wine or even saute some onion, deglaze with a little white wine, add that sauce back into it and you get a wonderful tomato sauce, fresh and, you know, put some basil in there and throw some fresh thyme in there. Boom. I have 50 pounds of sauce tomatoes uh, sitting in the garage right now at my home. Wait, they, the, the tomato, is it made in sauce or is it not tomato? Yet. They're sauce tomatoes. Okay, they're just tomato. A, a variety that's good for making sauce. Right. And uh, they just are a day or two, maybe three days away from... Is it 50 pounds? Yeah. Do you want to get rid of some? No. Okay. <laughs> I'm happy to give you a quart of sauce. Ah, yes, that would be, that's, uh, what, that's what I meant. Yes, exactly. What wasn't I thinking that way? Yeah. But, um, no, you're always very generous with your canning, and uh, we don't can very much. We freeze, well, generally. Just, I don't can at all. Yeah, but you can give frozen, frozen gift. It's fine, too. Yeah, okay, so that's fine, as long as you're good with that. What size of container would you like it in? Because that's an important detail when you're, when you're doing this, because in January, when you want to make pasta for you and I can eat, Kathy. I can eat a good homemade tomato sauce three days in a row, so a quart well, is there's, fine. Well, there's that angle. <laughs> there's that angle of it, but it does help. I have no problem with that. It does help to preserve in... The portion size that you think you're going to use it in. Correct. I correct. think. Yeah, no, no, I agree with you. I think yeah. it's, it's important to think ahead before you freeze to try to think of what am I going to do when I take it out? Do I want to? Because if you only have a little bit left, it's going to go back in your refrigerator and you're going to play that stupid game of looking at it one day, two days, three days and go, okay, now I can put it in the garbage. Now I can throw it away. Is this yeah. why you froze it in the first place? No. It's so, like when I freeze soup in quart containers, it's like... I almost always eat the soup out of the freezer. Jackie's, it's like a dinner when Jackie's at the farm or, right, or right. whatever. So, and a quart is just too much. It's just a third of a quart too much. And so I bought two thirds of a quart container yeah. and it works beautifully. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, it's true. And by the way, if you put it in a smaller container, you can always take two out. But if you have one big container, you can only take one out. So think about smaller, the cup container are usually probably for most household the best container because you can just keep making those in cup. Oh, it's pint or cut? It's a cup, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cup container. A pint is two cups. Yeah. So you, you take those containers and you can freeze as many as you want. And if you need to take more than one out, it's easy. Take two. But if you have a quart container and you have too much, you don't know what to do with the rest of this it. This is my favorite time to preserve stuffed peppers. You know right? how I oh, love yeah, yeah. stuffed cabbage rolls? Uh-huh. Uh, I love to take the pasilla peppers, which uh -huh. are the unripened ancho pepper, right. and uh, roast those, get the skin off. Uh, they have a really firm meat, right. and so they make a great stuffed pepper. They have a little kick to them. Sure. Uh, but then to make a little classic kind of meat stuffing for me, you can do stew cheese or, or whatever, but I like a little lamb stuffing, you know, ground lamb or ground pork, and just uh, make a beautiful stuffed pepper. You put rice in it? 
of about 50%. And all my stuffings are about 50%. Some sort of grain or rice right, right. or if I'm doing cabbage quinoa, rolls, I you use, could do quinoa. You I don't could do, do quinoa. For some reason, quinoa and I, we're just not friends. All right. We're going to zoom in with Alexandra Crapanzano, uh, her new book called Gateau, The Surprising Simplicity of French Cakes is Dreamy. And Pam, you fell in love with it. And uh, I was just reading through the, the preface and... It's awesome. Yeah, there, there are so many elegant extra touches, so I'm excited to hear from her where she got her inspiration. She got to to table. All right, that next on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome in to the Hot Stove Society Show. We're here at the Hot Stove Society Kitchens in downtown Seattle. Thanks for joining us. We have an audience that is literally stuffing their face right now on rattlesnake bean quiche and some fresh Hannah's Choice musk melon, all from our farm in Prosser, Washington. So thank you all for... Uh, uh, nobody's dying. Everyone's enjoying it. It's all good. And those melons keep on giving. They're so delicious. Yeah, they do. Uh, you know, we have a couple of segments coming up uh, from the author of the new book, Gateau, The Surprising Simplicity of French Cakes by Alexandra Dominique Capazzano. And Pam, what drew you to this book? Because, you know, there's a thousand books you could have chose, but you, you chose this one. Well, you know, I am a softie for watercolors. Oh, that's So true. it was beauty first. And then I started digging into the content. Mm. And there were some imaginative flavor combinations in cakes that uh, were new to me. Uh-huh. So uh, I just started going deeper, and I'm actually going to try to bake from it. And I don't bake, so I feel like there's a, a win ahead of me. Awesome. Well, Sean has dialed up Alexandra, and you're on the line now. Is that correct? I am here. Yeah. Hello. Bonjour, Alexandra. Oh, hello. I can't see you, but good to see. Good, oh, to, good to hear you. Oh, I can. There you are. Oh, right here. That? My cable nice is not that. long enough for me. Oh, yeah, here it is. Alexandra, you know, Pam was taken by the watercolors right off the bat. I was taken by your endorsements. Holy smokes! Dory Greenspan, Amanda Hasser, Nancy Silverton, Apollonia Poilan, who I uh, whose bakery I was just in in Paris. Uh, you uh, you've got some mighty powerful company on the cover of your book. Thanks. You know, I grew up down the street from Poilan. So no that, I mean, literally the, the, I moved to Paris when I was 10 years old and I didn't speak French. I was starting a new school. I burst into tears and my father really wisely knowing me well and knowing my love of food said, let's just take a little walk. And I said, okay, fine. And uh, and like four minutes later, we entered Poilan and just like, the unbelievable smell of brunoisette and sourdough and apples and all of it. It's like, OK, I can live in Paris. This is OK. <laughs> yeah. I won't cry anymore. I'll just stay right here. Exactly. No fears. I'm good. <laughs> we just rented a flat in Paris for a week. And uh, the first day I went down to Poilan. In the Marais and Marais, I'm not sure what you want to do. Marais, 
uh, and bought a loaf of the uh, quarter loaf. You know, you buy poulon bread basically by the pound. Right. And uh, it was all sliced, and I had poulon toast with apricot jam every morning. Mm. So, uh, awesome. So Just that makes you want to go to Paris. <laughs> oh, yeah. So uh, more about you. Is I, I'm, I'm not, I wasn't all that familiar with you because you write and have written for over a dozen years in the Wall Street Journal about desserts and That's just not a tome that I tend to read very much. I'm a New York Times kind of guy. You know, I, t <laughs> I totally get that. <laughs> I can't say my political affinity is for the Wall Street Journal, but I, I, uh, I do love my team over there. It's great. How did they get started writing about or taking on a, an author to write about desserts in the Wall Street Journal? It was about literally 12 years ago. They just they launched a lifestyle section called Off Duty that appears on the weekends. And uh, and I got a call from Deborah, ne Deborah Needleman, who uh, then went on to be the editor of T. And I had been writing for Amanda Hester at The New York Times. And then Ruth Reichel had hired me over to Gourmet and Gourmet shuttered. And I think people were aware of that. And uh, and so I got I got a call from The Wall Street Journal and, and they said, you want to come write about food? And I said, absolutely. <laughs> I will write about all kinds of food because I love all kinds of food. I also would love to write a dessert column. Huh. I have a sweet tooth. You know. Yeah, but, well, you know, to, to write about desserts is not just to have a sweet tooth because many people have a sweet tooth, but they won't even get close to the pastry station. They're afraid of getting into the kitchen just because it seems so... To most people, I think baking is something that looks very, very scary. They might get in the kitchen and, you know, cook something. But baking seems to be very hard for a lot of people. So you are, yeah. you, you're into it. You, you like your sweets. But how did you get into the baking part? I mean, how did you get into it? And that goes, that goes back to Paris and really gets to the essence of this book. Because I, you know, growing up in France, you, you learn a couple absolute basics like yogurt cakes and the four-fourths pound cake and, you know, a couple of nut torts. And there are they're easy. They take 15 minutes. They're fantastic. They're unadorned. You don't have to deal with pastry bags and buttercreams and fancy decorations. They're incredibly satisfying. And I just, I love, I do love that wow factor because baking actually is really easy. And, and people, people are so grateful when you do it that um, to me, it's kind of one of the most, I don't know. It's it, to me, it's one of the easiest forms of cooking actually. And so I really, you know, I, I started, I started early and uh, I, I ended up going to graduate school in film directing and my money job when I was in graduate school was producing for Martha Stewart. So I used to go into this incredible library of cookbooks and I would just, you know, these were the days of Xerox more than phone photography. And I would just, I would read and read and read and read and read and bake and bake and bake and bake and bake. And, um, so I am, I am self-taught and I think, I mean, you know, it's been a long, long time, but, uh, but I think the fact that I am self-taught actually means that I can, I can kind of communicate what somebody needs to know who might be tentative about baking. That's one thing I, I kind of, when you talk like this, it reminds me of Julia when I first saw, as a, as a French chef coming to America, and first time I saw Julia Child cooking, I was like, this is the bridge, this is it, this is, I mean, that's what she reminded me of, like the bridge between a home cook and a professional cook, you know, Thank and it's you. nice to bring both of them in the middle. 
I am sadly only 5'2", and I do not have a cleaver. <laughs> you know, oh, my God. Uh, yeah, you probably have a- actually why I wanted this book to be illustrated, though, because these recipes, as you, as you clearly know from France, I mean, the French really do stay very much to the tried and true, the kind of beloved classics that have been around. I mean, there, there are recipes in this book that date back to the Middle Ages. And, you know, sure, you know, I'm using a convection ever and a stand mixer, and, you know, there's some, you know, the invention of baking powder and some things but but basically these recipes um have stood the test of time and i just i didn't want a book that was gonna look old in a year because the recipes should last another couple of hundred years alexander there's a line you have in your opening that uh, in your introduction in gateau that um, to me underlies uh, so much of cooking and how people should think about becoming a better cook and i'm going to quote it directly the trick is Having an arsenal of recipes that once learned become mere blueprints, allowing for a myriad of uh, variations depending on what's in season and what's in the cupboard. And I really think that that is a baseline for so many techniques in cooking. Like when you learn how to make a classic sauce, you can... You can take it to different places depending on what's when you, you can you can dress it with whatever right. clothes you want exactly. And when you learn how to make a great tart, you can then transfer that talent to every fruit of the season, and then maybe jump out in some areas where you're instead of almond paste, you're making a pistachio paste, or you know you're just doing different things because you have a baseline, a blueprint. And I thought that was so well written. That that to me, from what I've read in the book, is kind of like the most important sentence that uh, I've read so far. Thank you. Um, you know, I think I think that is. I mean, I talk a little bit about a kind of savoir faire, but I, I I do feel like if you if you do have those recipes in your back pocket, so to speak, you don't need a lot of them. But as you said, you need to be able to be confident enough to riff on them. Then it's just much more fun to have people over too, right? I mean, you're not like I I really have never been to a Parisian's house for dinner where they have said, you know, oh, I'm trying something from this new book that I've never tried before. And it takes yeah. three days. No, that doesn't happen. Like that's, that's insane to me. I mean, it's fun once in a while, but, <laughs> but, but I actually, right. I mean, the point is, is you want to, you want to have the confidence that you know what you're doing. And then, you know, if you're making Moroccan's Food, maybe you add some Rosal Hanouk to a pound cake, or you know, if even some harissa. No, or some. <laughs> there's some savory cakes in this book too that I absolutely love, 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 love. That is that is really the essence, and I kind of i I wanted this book to to just encourage encourage people to to get out there and bake and and get confident. Yeah, I mean, it goes right down to the thing that we've always uh, said, too, is that you don't invite 25 people for Thanksgiving dinner right. and then try and cook a turkey, like a 20-pound turkey, for the first time in your life. Uh, right. It's just a bad mix of tech. Of, 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 it's a bad technique. Bad, bad thought. Yeah, yeah, don't do it. Make your turkey now. Right. Try it again. And then invite 25 people over for Thanksgiving. Okay, we're going to dive deeper into the book when we come back uh, with Alexandra Dominique Capizzano. Uh, Gateau, the surprising simplicity of French cakes. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. I remember coffee-flavored Hagen-Dazs sweetening my lips. But now it's just a memory right here on my hips.
Chateau, the surprising simplicity of French cakes by Alexandra Dominique Capanzano. That's what we're talking about here at the Hot Stove Society Show. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. And Alexandra, we, we've heard a little bit about how you got to Paris and about uh, your love of all things en français, as uh, Terry likes it. You know, my favorite thing, uh, Alexandra, is when Terry does the fake French accent on top of his own accent. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, it's great. Tell us about the book and, and uh, how you came about these recipes uh, that you chose to put in there, and then how do you change them as you get better at doing each and every one of them? So I, I started this during the pandemic, and I think it was really my way to write my to write my way home to Paris. I mean, I, I hate it, even if I had no plans to go to Paris that March of 2020. I just, I hated that I couldn't get there because it really is my second home. And uh, and so I thought, you know what, I am going to just I am going to write my way back there every single day. And I thought, OK, I'm going to I'm going to work on one cake recipe and perfect one cake recipe every single day. The pandemic's going to be short. This will be like a 70 page book. Boom. Really, really fun. And, you know, and then the pandemic grew longer and longer and longer. And I was continuing to bake and bake and bake. And the book grew and grew and grew. And uh, and at a certain point, I realized, wait a second, there has not actually been a book on home baking, on home baking cakes, at least, Parisian and French home baking. Um, there's so many books about patisserie. There are so many kind of incredible coffee table books about these intricate, gorgeous confections that are made in France. And I think that's why it's so intimidating. So I kind of wanted both to debunk the myth that, that the French are born except for you, Terry, with these superpowers and, uh, and, and, and do it really by saying, okay, if you want something super fancy, you know, in France, you go, you go downstairs, you go to the corner, you walk a block or two, you go to a great patisserie and you, you leave it to the pros because the pros have been, you know, if you have a patisserie in Paris, chances are you started an apprenticeship at 13 and you, you know, you did that for many years. Maybe you went to Ferrandi for culinary school. Maybe you went out to the provinces and, and, you know, and eventually got your own shop. And then finally, after, you know, 20 years of, of baking, you get to Paris and you open up um i think that i think the french really wisely leave that kind of fancy food to chefs and patisseries and people who are super trained to do that and uh and i really wanted to get into kind of what is made at home and then as as it kind of grew i thought you know what i've got to i really want to capture not just easiest to kind of holiday but i want to make sure that i'm I'm kind of encompassing all of the seasons and uh, and the French are incredibly ritualistic and they love their celebrations and they, you know, and so I wanted I wanted to really express that this is, you know, they'll make a little something sweet almost every day just to have a dinner. But, you know, come the day of Epiphany, there is an Epiphany cake and come Christmas, there's a Bouche de Noel. And these cakes, part of what I love about these cakes is you those you only have once a year. So you kind of spend the rest of the year waiting for them um and i love that excitement nobody in france would eat a bush noel off season right. <laughs> absolutely not absolutely. Here, here they would wait for it to be half price on new year's and then they would buy it right right could you so, could you dig in um to a recipe from each header the chic delicious and playful and also a savory cake those were the two chapters that caught my attention 
Oh, absolutely. Okay. So, you know, the chic, delicious and playful as a chapter heading was, was definitely like <laughs> the equivalent of miscellaneous, right? Everything that, that I love that I wanted to put in because it's fun. Um, you know, t- I would dig into the Dacquas, mm-hmm. I think, because that's, you know, a Dacquas is essentially, it's, you know, it's layers, it's, it, it is round layers of meringue that are usually sandwiching um, a mousse, chantilly, a buttercream, fruit, um, and they can be as high as you want. So you can say you do two discs of meringue and one layer and a great big amount of chantilly on top. That's great at home. If you go somewhere for dinner, maybe you'll have three or four layers. It is like, it's basically like a stacked pavlova almost. And it's a dessert I love because the meringues are made the night before, or at least six hours before. Super, super easy. Just egg white, sugar, and uh, and you let them dry out in the oven. And, and then, you know, if you have time, maybe you want to do a buttercream. Maybe you want to do a little chocolate mousse to put inside. If you don't have time, you just whip up a chantilly, preferably with kind of two-thirds heavy cream, one-third creme fraiche, just to give it a little bit of tang um, to offset the sugar in it. Fill it with that, some fruit. If you don't have any fruit, do jam. If you if you are boozy um, by nature, which I am, you might spike that chantilly with a little bit of um, yes, creme de cassis. And boom, you've got this like fantastic looking great dessert in yes, no so time pretty. at all. And, so and pretty. it is it is definitely the sister of the Pavlova for sure. Mm-hmm. It's like it's the yeah. same principle. Like you know, like you said, meringue and cream. Well, and the top is whatever you want. Yeah. Exactly. And then if you make a mess, which happens, right, you just smash it up and you make a British Eden mess, right? <laughs> you're good. Then you're it's considered like, the best restaurant in the world. You don't... Oh, yeah. Oh, Alinea? You're talking yeah. Alinea? <laughs> I got that. Um, right. So that's, that is what I love. And then, uh, you know, the, the, actually, the, the Ghetto Concorde, which was designed basically for the Conquer Jet, uh, is a chocolate dacqua. So it is not made with a nut meringue. It's made with a chocolate meringue and it is filled with the most unbelievably good, um, easy, easy, easy chocolate mousse, which is basically just a, a kind of whipped um, ganache chantilly and is an awesome shortcut. And that is just, it's totally chocolate bliss. I mean, that's that's got Valentine's Day written all over it. And uh, I'm so glad you mentioned savory cakes because I, I was not, sure that savory cakes would hit but i and i really wanted them to because these are cakes that are essentially everything you love about a sandwich like a grilled cheese sandwich thrown into the batter at once so so you might they're like a quick bread right you might add some cheese and you might add some ham and maybe or maybe you'll do a caprese version and add some cherry tomatoes and some mozzarella and some basil and some olive oil and it's and they're great because you bake them up and they last for days and you can pop them in a tote bag you can pop them in a lunchbox you can kind of cut them into squares and serve them with an aperitif. You can, you know, make a dinner coming back from a movie theater or something late at night, you know, have that with a with a salad with a nice strong Dijon vinaigrette and a glass of wine. It's kind of my my perfect ideal of a meal. And uh and I wanted to introduce that because I uh, you know, I think so many of us eat sandwiches that are not at their optimal time, right? It's mm-hmm. like they're For sure. like you Definitely. morning and you leave it till lunch. And if it's in the fridge, it's lost its texture. If it's in the lunchbox, half of it's frozen. So these are just, uh, these are just everything in one. 
It reminds, uh, reminds me of those pound cakes that I was trying I to know, make. I yeah. know. That's why it captured my yeah. attention, because Tom's been dreaming about savory quick cakes for years. Yeah. We're going to figure it out. Dude. We're going to make it. We're going to work gonna, it. Do it. <laughs> we can talk about this. We I love, I love the this. concept, too. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I just saw that there's an opportunity for people to hear you talk about the book at Book Larder, and I think yeah. they'll have the book um, by the time of your talk, right? Absolutely, but, yeah. Okay. All right, Alexandra, thank you so much. Thank you so Uh, much. Merci beaucoup. This is the perfect holiday gift to Gateau, the surprising simplicity of French cakes. Uh, Look for the name Crepanzano when you're trying to look it up online, and I'm sure it'll pack... Perk right up there on the line. Buy it now and give it before Thanksgiving so they can cook all the way to yeah. Christmas. And they'll be ready. If you call the book larder, you can reserve a copy. They, yes, they might they, not have it yet, but you can reserve a copy. They're for taking when. pre-orders. Okay, good. Thank you so much, Alexandra. Thank you so much. Good luck. Thank you. My pleasure. Up next, it is time for Tasty Tapas. When we come back on Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Number two, we're so happy to be with you. We hope you're in your garden, uh, enjoying this harvest time of year. Sweeping the leaves already. Amazing that we had the driest summer ever after having the wettest spring ever. I I find that astonishing. I can't wait to see what fall is going to be like. I know. Who knows? We've got another full hour of things to do while you're gardening or driving or you're coming down here to the Hotel Andre to stay for the weekend, you know, whatever it is that you're up to. We're glad that you made us part of your day. Uh, the markets are brimming with uh, peppers, which we talked about. We're going to talk about tapas in this, in this hour. We're going to talk about um, ordinary to extraordinary. And uh, Pamela would like meatloaf as our number one subject. And I'll do that, but I don't know that I, I don't make for much meatloaf. You don't either? I you make, make meat, pate. I make, I make meatballs. You make, and you make pate, right? Yeah, or, pate. Yeah. When was the last time you made pate? Uh, two years ago. Two years ago. Just before we closed Luke, that's when I made the last pate. We're going to talk to Susan Cathcart from 58 Stars Travel about your big trip coming up to Ireland. That's right. That's right. Can't and, wait. And, of course, we're going to finish the day with uh, Food for Thought Tasty Trivia, brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs. But uh, first, let's jump right into Ordinary to Extraordinary. All right, segment we used to do. Yeah, every week. And what so, are we going to make extraordinary? Well, Pamela would like to know about meatloaf. She went back uh, last weekend. It was her, was it your mother's 90th birthday? 88th. 88th birthday, and she cooked her lunch. And when she goes back, I, I'm regaled with stories of jello molds, uh, you know, potato salads, Things meatloaf. I don't really know too much. I know, I'm- exactly. So. Uh, we just want to give her a new breadth of life, uh, having done... Well, describe the meatloaf first, because we need to know what we're working on ordinary, so... What, what no, is, what no is seasoning. So oh. it's ground well, beef. Well, that's going to be easy. Ground beef. Just only ground, only beef. Only ground okay. beef. No seasoning. Onion, well, Salt onion pepper? powder. Onion powder. Onion powder. Powder. Were you working literally from a recipe out of an index card? (laughs) Heaven forbid you would chop an onion or saute an onion to go into it. Well, that's going to be easy to make. Does it have traditional things like ketchup and Worcestershire and things like that? Ketchup and breadcrumbs. And an egg. And an egg. And that's it. Five ingredients. 
Yep, very straightforward. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so start from the beginning now. Just make a different meatloaf. Well, the first thing I would do is definitely add some fresh onions. Yes. No, I would, would you sauté them first? Yes, I would sauté okay. them first. I would also put a bunch of fresh thyme in there. I would put a lot of chopped parsley. After they were cooked, after the whole thing is cooked, I put a lot of chopped parsley. And I would cool that off. And then I would mix my ground beef. Uh, was, it, was it pork or what was it? Beef. 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 Ground beef. And I would definitely put a little fat in there. Pork fat. At least 10, 10 to 15% of fat. So pork fat, when you add, you're really, in my mind, I would just add plain pork or fennel pork sausage right. that you can buy in bulk at the grocery store. So, well, you could, so yeah. what you're saying basically is that it's... I was doing mine from scratch. but Yeah, but you're going to go 80% beef, 20% Correct. pork just sausage. Like, just like you would for a good burger. You know, think of the same principle. It's usually to 80% to 20% fat is usually mm-hmm. a good ratio to start with. So think about the same kind of ratio, basically. Plus seasoning, er, I mean, plus onions, plus herbs, and then a little spice. I would put, I don't know, depends on the flavor you want to look for. I would do between curry and, I mean, it would, you, you have so many things. You can go through the dry spice. Um, you could use a, a rub and mix that into, the, into your mold and then, you know. And peri would be good. He's already making a terrine out of it. That's my favorite part. <laughs> well, it's a meatloaf, right? It's a meatloaf. So what it's mold pate. does it go into? It's pate. It goes into a terrine mold. My mom always did hers freestyle. There was no mold. What do you mean? Oh, just as she a, just did a, a mound on a cookie sheet. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that would be a first for me. What about yeah. mushrooms? What's oh, your yeah. opinion? Absolutely, tons of mushrooms. Well, right now, chanterelle. Let's now. Chantrelle. Let's just be. Let's just be clear, though. You're you've, you're making a meatloaf. Correct. All right. It's a loaf. And so if you if you don't treat your mushrooms like if you don't sauté them with the onions and stuff, you're going to end up with these soggy little bits in the middle of your meatloaf. So you have to dry them out, or you could use a mushroom powder. Use dried mushrooms and just put it in your coffee. Powder, that is a good one. Yeah, like the like my mushroom rub, or like you just take um, you buy dried mushrooms at the grocery store and put them in your coffee blender or your spice blender and just make a powder out of out of them, and that works beautifully too. Yeah. Anytime you add a dry ingredient like that, though, you have to kind of make up some moisture, right? More moisture. Yeah. I can't recall the time that I've used mushroom raw into anything that was raw, as in anything pre cooked. I'm always going to saute my mushroom on the side. Mainly because that's where I want them to be, the stage I want them to be. And like Tom said, it doesn't do justice to the mushroom to just put it into something like this and steam it or cook it like yeah. this. It doesn't do any good to it. Mm-hmm. The only thing that would be good for is if you had fresh truffles in the middle of winter. <clears throat> Beautiful, fresh perigord truffle. Put a few slices inside the middle of your meatloaf. Yes, I think and that, then would, that would make somehow, it extraordinary. Somehow you just made your beef... Meatloaf. Somehow, yeah. Somehow. In romantic, kind of like- uh, romantic, willamantic Connecticut, we're going to have a <laughs> black truffle meatloaf. Oh, never seen the light of day yeah. there. So then, okay, so now you've got this thing. You've got the sautéed mushrooms in there. You've got the, the onions. Uh, browned onions. You've got the meat. I, I like a mixture. So I often do a third beef, a third veal, a third pork sausage. Always a good idea. So I, I like that kind of mixture. Oh. Um, eggs. I, I agree with the eggs. Absolutely. Now, there's two things you can do on texture-wise, right? You can just take that mix that you have and push that together and make a meatloaf. Or you could put it in your mixer and use the paddle and beat that mixture. And it entirely changes the texture of the meatloaf. Yes. And so is there a term for that? It's called... When you you work the meat? Yes, there is, but um, 
It's not coming to I my head, but what the... if it was trivial right now, I would lose. But what you can do with that is also put it into a casing, mm-hmm. and you end up with something that feels like a, almost like a hot dog kind yeah. of texture, where the meat has been pulverized. Yeah. So there, there's another thing you can do, and that's what you see mostly in mortadella, or you right. see that in, in a lot of French uh, or German sausages. You Saucisson. see that kind of whipped uh, meat, and it's typically done with egg whites and, you know. Breadcrumbs. That doesn't sound appetizing to me. No. Just tell you if you want to. Well, because, because you're visualizing so then we, only have a minute, we only have a minute. So what are you going to put on top? When it comes out of the oven, it's all cooked. Uh, we've wrapped in bacon before. My mother always put ketchup on top. What do you want on top of this meatloaf? Well, right now don't, we you, have, don't you sigh right at my you mother. Ju- right now Mister. you just told, told us you have 50 pounds of tomato in your, in your garage to use. Let's make a quick sauteed tomato and so- make a quick tomato sauce that would be super delicious with a meatloaf like that. I would also wrap the meatloaf in bacon and then bake it that way because when it comes out of the mold, you have this beautiful bacon wrapped up tight around your meatloaf and it also gives it a nice smoky flavor. So you could also do a mushroom sauce around it you know, instead of tomato sauce. When we come back, it's tapas time and I'm going to use some of the things that I made for the my evening segment that I did this week oh, here at the Hot Stove because good, good Jackie did something with tomatoes at home that I really loved, and it's just not up my alley, and I just loved it. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. All right, we love tapas because they can be made ahead. They can be served at room temperatures, so you can enjoy some time with your guest. And our favorites include things like tortillas, stuffed mussels, hand-chipped ham, which, by the way, I bought my Costco Spanish ham yesterday at Costco. It's my annual Christmas treat. Empanadas, gambas, pat- uh, patatas brava. Patatas brava. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Those are lots of tapas ideas. So uh, this week on my evening spots, um, which I do and have been doing for over 10 years, of course, we had Jackie's tomatoes, right? And I did, um, we have the last of the season corn. So I did a quick, fresh corn grits, mm-hmm. which would be really lovely on a, in a tapas kind of way. Sure. Or I just grated the grits and I let this, when you grate it right off the cob, the corn, um, you pick up all the corn starch that goes with it, the corn sure. milk that goes with it. And I just... Literally sautéed it for 90 seconds with uh, some of the Fresno chilies and some fresh thyme. little butter? little butter. So good. I had mm. it with pork chops, but it would make a delicious tapas on its own. And then... Um, it'd, be good, it'd be good with some nice diced prosciutto de parma on top. I think no. I can see it. Oh, yeah. No. I agree. A little corn cake Always with some prosciutto, prosciutto de parma on top. I already had a pork chop underneath. What, did, what do you want from me? I would never put a pork chop for, for tapas. That oh, doesn't remind true. me that's of true. tapas. <laughs> uh, the other thing I made that would be a good tapas is uh, I just took her ripe tomatoes, and they're perfect right now, sliced them about three-quarters of an inch thick, uh-huh. put them down, put some grated green papaya on top, and then some seared prawns. And the prawns are probably the part that are most Spanish in nature. Right. Just seared prawns in olive oil and salt and pepper. And then finish the whole thing with a little Vietnamese wok chom, some fish sauce and chilies, and 
I, would, drenched, I, would, I drenched the whole thing. I wrapped so. my uh, shrimp in pimenton, smoked. Yeah, paprika. that would be good. Yeah. That would have been also a nice flavor to add. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Uh, potatoes. You were talking about potatoes. It's the end of the summer. You pick the potato out of the ground. It's, not, it's nice to do a little stuffed potato. You know, we don't think about it as very often as an appetizer, but it's a great little... You take those little potatoes and you cut I them. I know. In. It's kind of like an old silver palette or Martha Stewart it's thing. It's old, isn't it? but it's yeah. never bad. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't like a good, nice little, you know, you got to do it right, but nice little stuffed um, potato. You can do all kinds of things. You can use sour cream. You can use all kinds of different things to put. Creme caviar, fresh. Caviar, caviar, caviar. It's smoked salmon. You know, mm-hmm. it's, we have a lot of smoked salmon around here. Crab. You know, use some nice crab meat and put that very simply a little olive oil, salt, pepper, fresh tarragon. Are you baking the potato or boiling it? Potato is already boiled. Parboil. Par like boil. you want to make Skin sure it on. doesn't yeah. fall apart, and then you cut them in half, and then you just take the center. And then when you take the center off, keep that meat and mix it with like a hot boiled egg, and then repipe it into make like a, a devil potato egg, basically. And then, you know, nice little harissa on top, so it's got a little bite to it. Mmm. Mm. You know, there's a street in Barcelona called the Ramblas, right? Sure. And it goes all the way up from the ocean, all the way uptown. It's a little bit on the same kind of angle that, say, Madison Street is here in Seattle. Kind Correct. of cuts across town. And at the bottom of the Ramblas, uh, there's, a, there's the old Barceloneta. Uh, and then there's right where the Ramblas kind of starts in the new Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, a tapas bar called Calpep. Yeah, and you, you very famous. Yeah, very famous. And you stand in line and you wait for your chair that's in front of you and stand right behind the person and just drill holes in the back of their necks with your eyeballs. <laughs> Till they get out of your <laughs> way. Because the, the guy because, doesn't look like he's going anywhere. I You're know. Like, and they, they move fairly often, but not fast enough for me when you're starving. Uh, because, you know, I'm starving half, half of my life. But anyway, so you're sitting there, you're watching the this big tapas bar and... I'm just watching the guy, and every time he turns around, he's going to this little fryer. It was like it was like a, what do they call those baby fryers? Like a fry daddy or something like that. This place was jamming busy, and all the little baby octopus was coming out of the fry daddy, and the squid was coming out of the fry daddy, and it was just this gross pile of dirty fat in there, and it was so delicious. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Flavored, flavor 101 for sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but and, you know, it's like... This is what you can do when you cut things smaller. You don't need a big fryer. Right. And then that's one of the reasons they use small fryer. It's actually more practical to use, and it does a better job. Because mm-hmm. if you were using a big fryer, you'd be fishing your pieces mm-hmm. all over your fryer. So, so There's so many things that uh, come in tapas. I think we get caught up in chorizo sometimes. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, typically chorizo that I've had in Spain at a tapas bar is always kind of a, it's not really the little sausages that we get here it's more the sliced kind of just almost like salami kind of right. chorizo cured and bigger, sliced yeah. definitely uh, bigger and that's where you get the lomo you get the sure. chorizo you've got the the iberico black hams uh, which is their prosciutto uh so good stuff yeah mm. reminds me pam i don't know if you noticed or not but the ham that i bought from benton count country hams uh from the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee, which I've been using all summer at my classes. I know. It's so delicious. It's so good. And it's just chip off little pieces. I finally finished it. Oh, I put my... it away. Did you consider it done? Yes, I did. And oh, you're okay. the one who told me you wanted it done. <laughs> you wanted it out of your refrigerator. Are you going to cook some beans with that? Great idea. Great mm. idea. Yeah. 
I want to do a shout-out um, to Ocho in Ballard on Market Street because I think it's the best tapas bar in Seattle. And I was just there recently. And their specialty, a lot of things with uh, roasted stuffed peppers, mm-hmm. but their specialties are really their fritters. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, I imagine, I, I have never seen into the kitchen if they're working with one of those small fryers or not, but you know I'm going to spy on it yeah, next time exactly. I'm there. But I just thought it was so funny to have a 50-seat tapas bar, and you're working out of a fry daddy. I just thought it was the funniest yeah. thing. So, uh, Ocho, I haven't been there in a few years. Uh, I had always gone to Harvest Vine over yes. at my Perry's house. Yes, that is a wonderful place. Yeah. Great place to go for tapas. I mean, Harvest Vine has been solid for, I don't know, 20 years, yeah, years. Yosef and uh, Carolina, yeah, right, uh, yeah. started that many, many years ago. I think, does Carolina still own yeah, it? Yeah, Carolina still has it. Huh? Yeah. There you go. Uh, so what did, when you had a fritter there, did you feel like there was a base batter in that fritter that they were just adding little bits of this and that to? Absolutely, because like, we had a couple of different uh, stuffings, and it, was, it, it felt like it was the same batter. Uh-huh. There was a wonderful artichoke one that surprised me. And um, there was a cheese one and a shrimp one that we tried that night. But I love their chalk bar. It's always changing. Mm-hmm. So you, don't, you don't know what you're going to get. Fun. Smoked dog breast olive tapenade on a nice little piece uh, of And, you know, there's a good smoked breast, uh, duck breast in the marketplace that you can buy. Sure. Yeah, sure. it's simple and just slice it thin yeah. and it's delicious. With Slice it thin, cut it in smaller pieces and mix that with an olive tapenade. Put that on a piece of nice grilled bread from mm-hmm. the Dahlia Bakery. Beautiful tapas. The other thing that's, you know, if it's not uh, summertime and you don't have fresh peppers, the paquilla peppers that you can buy that are roasted. Sure. And yes. you just pull them out of the jar, and they're so stuffable. And to stuff those with a little cheesy, like a, a um, what's the, a manchego mashed potato or something like that, and then roast it until they caramelize in the oven, really good. You could do some salt. Uh, salt cod. Salt cod. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a salt cod and mashed potato stuffed in there. That's more classic, I would say. Very yeah. classic. Mm-hmm. But that's a good, it's a good bite. Mm-hmm. Not too big. It's a two-bite thing, but usually it's a two-bite, yeah. Salt cotton. One thing that you see in the marketplace here that I really like, but I never saw them in Spain. I, I imagine I just missed them, but there's those little kind of like, they look like pancake uh, crackers, you know, that um, under the, uh, the Spanish brand Mazzetti or something oh, like yeah, that. Oh, yeah, maize. Yeah. Uh, anyway... Uh, they, they have ones that have anise seeds in them, and they also have ones that are orange. But the orange ones are kind of glazed. They taste a little bit desserty to me. Uh-huh. But they would go good with, say, a salty cheese. Right. That sweet salt thing is a nice True. mixture. But, God, those crackers are so good. Oh, I love those crackers. Do you know what they're, they're called? So, they're like tortas. They're, they're so elegant, and each one is individually wrapped. Mm-hmm. and it's Wax paper. You know what else? Great snack. Potato torta española. Yeah. Yes. You know, potato, onions, and... You have that, you just take a little slice of that and put a nice piece of uh, smoked meat or even smoked salmon could yeah. be great on top of that. You know what I think people do with that, that so often that kind of ruins it is they try to serve it too hot. They, oh, yeah. think, they think it's an omelet. It should be room temp. And it should be room temp and it should have time to sit and rest and kind of develop its flavor. Sure. Yeah. It's so, so good. Pro tip right there. Let so many rest. things, so many things yeah. that we do. We try to rush bread when it comes out of the oven. We try mm-hmm. to rush pie. You know, pie has got to sit and set. For hours before it's the right texture. That's right. Yeah. So be patient. All right. Fifty-eight stars travel is coming up with Susan Cathcart and Terry Rotaro on Hello. Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, ninety-seven three FM. Keep it in your pantry. Keep it in your pantry.
to the Hot Stove Society Show. We're having a ball here today. We've had so much fun making French cakes, talking about peppers, making little Spanish tapas. We're having a good day here at the Hot Stove Society Radio Show. I'm Chef Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. And Terry, there's a nice woman sitting across from you who says, and I quote, she has known you for over 40 years. And frankly, she could be my you mother. don't even look like you're 40 years old. She could so be my mother. She could be your mother. <laughs> Oh, she might slap you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. She might slap kidding. me for that one. Uh, tell us why, why the Susan, Susan Cathcart is Susan here. Susan Cathcart. She's a friend. We've been a friend for a very long time, as she just said. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I've always been envious of Susan because she travels the entire planet. Is there a place you haven't been? Yes. There, I have not been to Antarctica or <sighs> Greenland. Okay, so those are the only two places she hasn't been. <laughs> I've been to Greenland. Ooh, I stopped on a refueling flight. Ooh. Although I think it wasn't literally Greenland. I was in the Baffin Islands. You know where they are? Yeah, I do. And is that Greenland? Is that part of Greenland? No, I don't think it's That's part, part of, of Newfoundland, right? Yes, yes, okay. yes, yes. All right. So, Susan, you and I go travel. You, you, you're an expert at traveling, and um, we have this wonderful trip planned up for Ireland, and you, obviously, are from Ireland on one side of your family, I guess? Yes, cor- uh, correct. I'm actually first generation. I'm three-quarters Irish and one-quarter is French. So I have there a nice go. combo. Yeah. So you told me so much about Ireland, and, and, I've, and Tom told me about Ireland. Mm-hmm. Everybody talks about Ireland like it's a beautiful country. And uh, we have this trip planned next April. And just tell us what... And where we're going to go. So, because you can explain it better than I even can. Yeah, of course. Uh, and Ireland's a very unique uh, destination right now because it's easy to get to. You can speak English. So, people are like, I can just go myself. But I actually own a house there with my husband in Donegal. He's there now working. Uh, I spent, have spent a lot of time there. And there, Ireland is all about history. And what's happening now is there is a resurgence of culinary exploration, art, uh, contemporary art, businesses are moving there. It's another huge wave of uh, innovation there. And I was at a restaurant way up in the the hills of Donegal eating a five-course meal that was the most incredible meal. And I actually was showed him pictures of the chef. Turns out the chef is a very well-known Michelin star trained re- uh, uh, chef from, uh, he had been in Germany. And what we're finding is in the culinary world is that people are coming back to Ireland. These chefs have left to be trained and learned. And they're excited to come back and kind of share this new, new, uh, kind of sourcing of seaweed uh, sauces and, and the oysters and the clams and the salmon and, and using the potatoes. It's, it's not, it's, Ireland is changing. And so this trip with Thierry, I we do many, many uh, kind of 
trips that are very uh, unique. And so people want to go to Morocco and Australia and South Africa because it's, they're, comfortable, they're comfortable going with a group, very small group, 14 people. But this trip with Ireland is a place where, where Terry really wanted to go, Terry and Kathy. And we had some uh, clients who had gone on other trips with him and said, I want to go, let's go to Ireland. So I was able to uh, be there for quite a few months a year ago. I worked on an itinerary, passed it by Terry, and that's how we work our our groups. And uh, I'm really excited about it. It just came out yesterday. We just started marketing it. We're getting a lot of uh, a lot of um, um, interest in it. So I'm just excited to talk about it. And uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful time to go. It's lambing season. There's gross. Uh, those the, what are those plants that are they're very bright yellow grouse oh grouse. scotch broom the scotch broom yeah. it's yeah. it's just it's the most magical place and unless you have an allergy yeah unless you have an allergy <laughs> but we're basically just doing three cities this is not the kind of tour where you're on a tour bus and you pop off and kiss the Blarney Stone. Mm-hmm. It's very small group. You get to be with Terry and Kathy. You're going to be in Dublin. Uh, you're then going to be able to go. We're heading right over to, to uh, Killarney, which is, a, which is a, a big city, but it's a fun one to just go to Ireland. There's some amazing scotch, gin, uh, culinary activities that are going on there. Then we're heading up to Galway, which is becoming... During COVID, it was just kind of sad what happened. It's exploding right now. It's a brand new hotel we're staying at that's very exciting. And then if people want to stay, they can go up to Northern Ireland, which I know very well. The Antrim Coast, you're going to Giant's Causeway, you're going to end up in Belfast. So it's, it's an exciting trip. I can't wait. I mean, I, I'm very excited because it's, like, like, like uh, Susan is mentioning, it feels like there is a, a revival of... Come, come and visit, and you know we've got all this thing up to date, and I think it's the new generation pumped up to promote their own land, you know, and their own their own culture. So mm-hmm. it's very, I don't know, it's exciting, and I can't wait to uh, report on. It would be so different for me these days to go to Ireland and to uh, actually go for the food and the art because I'm always going with the, all the boys for the golf, <laughs> and so it's just a very different trip. We go for the pubs and. And, uh, you know, the Absolutely. music scene yep. and, and that kind of thing. And it, it includes that as well, though. Not the golf, unless you want to. But there's pubs, visits. Don't say it like that. Did you hear that? <laughs> I play golf. Did you golf. hear the tone I in her golf. not the golf? Believe it or not, I'm joining a golf club in Ireland. Oh, really? Ireland. Yes. In Ireland? And I play golf, yes. Nice job. So. Well, congratulations. I hope you have a ball. I hope a lot of people sign up so that maybe you can do two trips to Ireland. That would be yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not impossible, believe me. Can I just say, uh, if you're interested in the trip, uh, there's an email, and um, it's 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 the chef in the hat at fifty eight stars travel dot com. For right now, that is a good place to. If you're interested, you can also get a hold of Terry as well. So, yeah, and thank just you. learn more about the trip and yeah, all that. Thank too. you. Okay, uh, coming up, we're going to play some food for thought tasty trivia brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs. And I believe today we're going to take the legs right out from our chef, Annie Elmore, if I'm not... No, no, Susan's staying. Oh, Susan's staying for this. Okay, then we're probably going to get crushed. (laughs) On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. All right, we're here in the Hot Stove Society kitchen. Time to play 
Food for Thought Tasty Trivia brought to you by our very own Rub with Love Spice Blends and Sauces. There are 20 dry rub flavors, four tangy sauces, and a spectacular, if I do say so myself, uh, shallot roasted or toasted shallot mustard. These are great additions to your pantry. Rub with Love is available around Puget Sound area grocery stores like the Hagen stores, 15 locations from Bellingham to Olympia and around the country in spots like uh, Lori's Fish Market in Louisville, Kentucky, or Bianchini's Markets in San Carlos and Portola Valley, California. Pamela, you're going to run this show, and uh, Susan Cathcart from 58 Stars Travel is going to be our other contestant, ably helped by Annie Elmore, chef here at the Hot Stove Society. They're a powerful duo, I yeah, can already I, tell. I'm definitely feeling like we're not going to touch the ground here. <laughs> go ahead. I'm going to start five questions. Five questions I'm going to, to go you, chef, five to five. All right. And who wins? The person that gets the most answers correct. And who wins the prize? That person. I think it's going to be Susan Cathcart. <laughs> well, you have the power to make that happen. Exactly. I, yeah, exactly. I'm going to ensure it. All right. I love the way she's backing off so Mike going, I don't cook. I don't cook. He knows I don't cook. You don't cook. All right. We'll, we'll start. It's even better. It's even better. It gives us a better chance. Okay. All of the questions today are from this new book, Food and World Culture, that one of our chefs here at Hot Stove was an important contributor to. Kelty? Was that Kelty, part of Kelty's Kelty Clark Mahoney. So we'll have them here on the show very quickly, very soon. All right, let's begin. What are the other ingredients besides potato in the chilled soup named Vichyssoise? Licks. And? Onions. Chives. Cream. There we go. Correct. You want me to go through the whole recipe? No. <laughs> you don't have to add cream. I've made it many times without cream. Really? Yeah. Oh, I, I, well, I potatoes are the thickener. Are the thickener. Yeah. Number it's two. It's better with cream. Sorghum is the world's fifth leading grain following barley, corn, rice, and wheat. Is it gluten-free? Yes. Correct. Which amount is the correct record yield of one tomato plant. This is multiple choice. Did that plant grow 340 pounds of tomatoes, 160 pounds, or 89 pounds? One plant. One plant. This 89. Is a, it was 340. 300. Amazing. The reason I knew that was about five years ago, we had a record harvest at the farm. We had 85 pounds, at the end of the year, 85 pounds average per plant. Oh, my Whoa. God. That was a good, that was a... That's a production. Oh, 360 fire. doesn't seem real. Well, then you have to fight with Pam on that. I, I'm, I'm going to argue that. I'll look it up. True or false? Turkeys can reproduce by parthenogenesis, a uh, virgin birth, uh, by producing embryos without mating. Is this true or false? Because it's a turkey, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> it's, it is, in fact, true. <laughs> who would go through all that? If it, was, if it was anything else, I would say no, but because it's a turkey, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> I don't know what you mean by that, but I love it. And your final... You're doing great today, Chef. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm Running impressed. through it. Keep going. What is the only continent where rice is not grown? Greenland. Antarctica was my guess. Well, Antarctica. Is there some in Greenland? Tell me there is rice growing in Greenland. I'm challenging that, too. I don't think Greenland is a continent. Is that its own continent? I mean, it's obviously a frozen area. We'll we'll start a geography show. Mm. All right. So did I get the point or not? No. No. Oh, man. (laughs) And he goes, no. All All right. right. Three out of five. 
The, right. These are very fun. I'll just read you the answer. Okay. Oh! <laughs> She's so confident. Ego maniac over it. there. What? <laughs> Number one, what is the drug made from the poppy plant? Opium. Um, morphine? Same? Yeah. yeah. Same. Morphine, and it's ta- it takes its name from the Greek god of dreams, Morpheus. Are we giving that? When I was on morphine for my back surgery, I already rolled one point. I traveled the world in my head. In your head, exactly. That sounds fun. It was amazing. True or false? Raw pineapple will prevent gelatin from setting. Yes, it is true. Uh, But cooked or canned does work. Uh, Raw does not. (laughs) All right, this is multiple choice. Some dairy farmers have started feeding their cows. Seaweed. Why? Is it because it increases the fat content in milk, uh, or is it because it reduces the methane in their waste, or because it strengthens their bones? Methane. Yes, this is a breakthrough to get those cows to be less stinky. Yeah, yeah, it's a it, it it's a breakthrough. How many gallons of water does it take to grow one single almond? Ten gallons. It's one gallon for one nut. Uh, Can't imagine why there's a water shortage in California. (laughs) (laughs) What fruit helps you remove beet stains from your clothing? Lemon. It's pears. (laughs) You were close. Particularly to the reaction with beets. How many, how'd they do, Chef? <laughs> Not so hot. I don't know what happened there. Uh, Miss Annie just totally uh, pewed down there. Two out of five. Are That's you in the good. lead? Yes, you I'm are. I'm in the lead. I'm actually leading on three. Tom? You can take okay. it easy and relax now. In ancient Rome, carrots had such a reputation as an aphrodisiac that Caligula once served its guests an all-carrot banquet to see its effect. Is Absolutely. It? Who wouldn't? <laughs> it's true. In yeah. fact, it is true. <laughs> Who wouldn't? <laughs> uh, this one is multiple choice. How many cacao beans are needed to produce a pound of chocolate? 125, 250, or 400? I would say 125 would suffice. You need 400. 400. 400. Number three. Approximately how many people die annually from falling coconuts? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say <laughs> you, okay. Hold on. Eleven. <laughs> Do you have options? <laughs> it's a, a very sad one hundred and fifty. One fifty annually. Four. Number four. What year did instant coffee get introduced at the Pan American Exposition by a Japanese American chemist? Well, it has to be around one of the wars, because that's what all those things kind of seem to be invented for. You're wars, good history, but Wars or air travel, or like a 40, 39, 40. 1901. 1901. Oh, before the first one. <laughs> wow. There you go. And finally, which eggs sink, fresh or old? Sink in a, in a pot of water? Yes. Uh, old. Fresh eggs sink. Older <laughs> eggs float because of their larger air cells. <laughs> and that brings I can't believe you, Tom. One. <laughs> one out of five. <laughs> I told you I was going to crush it today. <laughs> oh, congratulations. You won a trio of your choice of spice rubs right here off of this spice rub sign here. Thank you. From our Rub With Love spice rub brand. 
We're very excited for you. And I'm even going to throw in a jar of our shallot mustard. Oh, because thank you. That is, uh, that's the bomb. Uh, if you want to be part of the show, you can uh, go to hotstovesociety.com and uh, buy a ticket for, for 30 bucks. I think they are. If I'm not and thank you to our live audience yes. today. Yes. It comes with uh, breakfast and thank hot you, coffee. Yes. You can join our community at YouTube Live at Tom Douglas & Co. or buy a ticket, right? You're listening to us on Cairo. This show is produced by Pamela Hinckley. Sean McFadden is our technical wizard. And our editor is Sean, don't call me, Del Torre. Remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society show on Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening and have a fabulous weekend.